Okay, Patriots 29, Lions 0. That is how we are rolling into the new week, a victory Monday for the Patriots. We record here on Monday night around 8 p.m. I'm Andrew Callahan from the Boston Herald. Pat's interference, post-game recap, solo edition, film review, all the notes, all the charts, all the plays, all the stats, all the analytics, and then a giant, actually our biggest mailbag yet. So this will be light on the early stuff, big on your questions at the end. And as always, feel free to hit us up on Twitter at Pat's Interpod um, if you don't already, because we get to virtually every question this week being the exception, because uh, as I said, this is going to be a shorter episode. I skipped last week due to some travels coming back from Green Bay. I don't think you really want to hear about that overtime loss just again. So we will move on with the show and the show is Bailey Zappi's show. There is no Bailey Zappi fever here. And whoever coined that term really is probably losing dollars by the day because you hear it on TV, you hear it on the radio, it's obviously on this podcast. And look, it's a lot of fun because I was wrong about this kid, at least for one game, um, making the point, if you listened last episode to our buddy Nick Fitzy Stevens from WEI, I was saying this is one of the more unpredictable games I've covered since I joined the Patriots beat in 2018. And it's just because the way the Lions like to play football, it is balls to the wall like there's so much variance inherent on defense when they blitz so much on offense when they're making explosive plays and special teams where they're faking things well there is no variance in the number zero it is nothing it is zero that's all the lions had on their scoreboard as you know and i've written extensively the patriots stopped them six times six times for the first time in nfl history on fourth down dominated obviously on both sides of the ball and bailey zappy had a great day and so part of this if again if you listen last week I said was unpredictable, not only because of the lines and all the things I just mentioned, but Zappi is a fourth round rookie who many thought would go, you know, perhaps undrafted or seventh round. And now I think I need to stop framing it like that because we're getting into midseason. Doesn't matter where you're drafted or not. Just look at Jack Jones, another fourth round rookie guy is a second pick in as many weeks in an outstanding play that will probably finish as one of the highlights of the season. And what we know now about Bailey Zappi, who had, 21 attempts, completed 17 of them for 188 yards, one touchdown and interception wasn't his fault. It's not enough to replace the entirety of the preseason when we also watched him play football, but it is enough to say that the Patriots can win like they did on Sunday and that limiting his throws and his focuses, everything is pretty much short to the line of scrimmage, just take care of the ball, complete X amount of passes, and hand it off to Ramondre Stevenson, who went for 161 and then obviously played great defense. And this is key because, of course, why is Bailey Zappi there? He's buying time for Mac Jones. And so we'll go into some numbers that highlight why 17 of 21 for 188 yards, a touchdown and interception are not as great as they seem. But Zappi impressed me. He proved me wrong at least one Sunday. Good for the kid. It sounds like he was working on Lions film dating back to the Sunday night flight home from Green Bay last week. So hats off to him because this was a really good performance. Okay, the format for postgame game episodes here in the pod we go the good the bad the game balls what would nfl film say i'm very excited to be back with this segment and then as i mentioned your mailbag so the good let's just do zappy up front bailey zappy was pressured on just three three of his dropbacks that's good for 9.1 percent in the whole game you give any quarterback in the league say for maybe carson wentz um you know no pressure on 91 percent of his dropbacks they're going to have a good game now obviously the offensive line did well up front two, clearing the way for 176 rushing yards. Most of those going to Stevenson, who I tweeted mid-game, changed my mind. He's the best 
skill position player. And now that I think about probably offensive player, depending on the day for Trent Brown on this team, because this kid broke nine tackles with all the touches that he had, which was 25 carries. And then you're looking at two catches. So he's breaking a tackle on one out of every three touches. The reality is he actually broke five on one going 49 yards in the first quarter, but the Patriots played as they always want to complimentary football. Thanks to that offensive line that created enough room in the running game. Let Bailey Zappi have enough time in the pocket and complete throws downfield, which aside from having virtually no pressure, he had a very good script for Matt Patricia and Bill Belichick, who might even deserve to lead this segment. If of course we weren't just going to talk about quarterbacks, because when you look at the way that they designed this game for Bailey Zappi, over half of his dropbacks were either play action or screens. And so there's your easily identified and cleared reads for him. You're looking one, two places, max one, obviously on screens, maybe two on play action. And so that limits the amount of processing he needs to do. And when you look at the play action rate, 37% was among the highest that we'd seen all season. Not only that, his average depth of target was just seven yards downfield. For reference, Mac Jones through the first three weeks was north of 10. So this was not a new offense, but it was kind of the old offense they were running last year with Mac. They majored in safe throws. You saw a lot of stick routes where you see Hunter Henry go up, turn to the right and take a step or two for a little hook. You have Jacoby Myers on a short crosser. You have screens, you have bubbles, all these different things. They just kind of dusted off some stuff from Mac last year and gave it to Bailey Zappi. And this was very smart. I think I underestimated this part. Again, when we were talking Thursday about, okay, what would Zappi do? Well, what are the coaches going to do? Because if there was one thing this game proved, either in the line side in a negative way or the Patriots side in a positive one, coaching very much matters. And they handled him expertly in terms of the play action rate, in terms of the plays that they designed. It was really just four or five concepts. And I know I've gotten a lot of suggestions especially from the folks on YouTube to draw on my whiteboard here about what some of these concepts were. I've tweeted one of them because the Patriots took those four or five concepts and just kind of ran them over and over again for Bailey Zappi. They just dressed it up with different formations and different motions. And that's really offense, elite offense in the NFL. You want to make a little look like a lot to the defense. And so when you look at, as I mentioned, I just tweeted his first pass attempt, that play design was the same call that Matt Patricia made on the touchdown pass to Jacoby Myers, you have a concept called levels, which involves, imagine two receivers on either side, right? So let's start on the right side. The furthest receiver outside, closest to the sideline, will run upfield five yards and cut all the way in. So it's basically a slant, but not a 45 degree angle, taking a hard 90 degree angle, five yards up, all the way in. The slot receiver on that same side is gonna go up 10 yards and then bang in on like a 10 yard, 12 yard dig. So you have this levels, the split, it's kind of like a high low for those receivers. And this concept is good against man, it's good against single high or two high, but on the other side are just two vertical routes. And you saw Bailey Zappi before he knows the play has to go to the right, either for the five yard in cut from the furthest receiver outside or the slot receiver running the 10 to 12 yard in breaker. I'm just going to look at those scenes. And when he looked left initially and took his time and patiently went through his reads, he found Hunter Henry for 23 yards, first completion of the day. And then he found Jacoby Myers for 24 yards in a touchdown. So those illustrated, both with the play action fake, by the way, how the Patriots, again, are using certain plays that he really likes. They're putting him in a position, not only just in terms of play action, but calling it on early downs to get him in a spot that can't really hurt them and also benefit his arm. And to his credit, Bailey Zappi, within those simple few concepts, 
is really making them work. So his accuracy percentage was about 86%. Credit to him. This was all very, very good. Um, defensively, though, Matt Judon, two sacks. Somehow didn't tell the story. When you go a little bit deeper, he had two more quarterback hits. He had another hurry. I had Josh Uche for two hurries. Juwan Bentley with two hurries. Big throwback game for Juwan Bentley, who really made a lot of this run defense work. And that's probably, you know, tied up there with Belichick and Bailey and, and Stevenson as far as things that could be number one, the best thing from this game. The Patriots had a real run defense problem. And run defense in the NFL in 2022 doesn't matter until it does, right? Like when you come into high leverage situations, you know, first and goal at the two, fourth and inches like we saw in the Lions opening drive, Devon Godchow gets penetration. Christian Barmore gives Jamal Williams a bear hug in the backfield. And then Bentley comes crashing down. That's when it matters. So the Patriots didn't lose at Green Bay because they gave up 199 yards, but they did lose for giving up almost that many to the Ravens the week before and Lamar Jackson. So the point here is that by stopping the run well enough early, they put this game on Jared Goff's shoulders as much as Bailey Zappi did in the offense scoring, because of course they were just kicking field goals. But by the time that, you know, they, they had pulled away, Goff had to throw. And that's when you saw four fourth down stops in the second half. Now that run defense helped because Bentley was not shooting gaps incorrectly all over the place. And he's normally outstanding with his instincts. We've covered this in the pod before. Devon Gachow is a monster in the middle. Barmore, this was his best game as a run defender, certainly this season, maybe in his career. Jelani Chavais had a very sturdy edge. I know no one likes to give him any sort of flowers. It's going to happen right here. And so the Lions averaged just 3.7 yards per handoff and really never got anything going, and particularly their gap schemes, which is how Green Bay and the Ravens hit them. Gap schemes, we talked before, power, counter, G lead, bunch of different variations. Most of the time when you see a guard pull, it's a gap scheme. That's, again, how Green Bay and the Ravens were hurting the Patriots in the C gap, out on the perimeter. Like the Packers were making them chase, specifically Bentley and Tavai, and they couldn't get there. The Patriots, by playing a traditional 3-4 front, where you had Barmore on one side, and then sometimes it was Godchow or Wise um, on the opposite end, and if Godchow was out, then Carl Davis was at the nose, they're starting basically in a C-gap opposite those offensive tackles. And so that helped them control those spaces where before they had been getting hammered the last two weeks and giving up all those yards. It wasn't as simple as just put a guy in the gap where we're giving up a ton of yardage, but it helped a lot. And particularly when paired with Juwan Belly coming downhill as we know that he can. So that run defense overall with the front, Kyle Duggar flying down, made a huge difference. And then Goff, as he just can't do against Belichick at any time, um, you know, struggled 19 to 35, 229 yards with a pick. That's a quarterback rating of 62.7. Now I mentioned Duggar and this will wrap up the good. I'm sure I'm leaving some out. Jack Jones, again, another interception. Kid looked great. Duggar's defense on TJ Atkinson, who went for 187 receiving yards just a little over a week ago against Seattle, helped hold him to one catch for six yards, which was harmless late fourth quarter, who cares, reception before they make, of course, another fourth down stop. Kyle Duggar was outstanding, and his man coverage is going to be really key, not only just because, like, look, he's going to be facing a lot of tight ends, but the way the Patriots like to bounce between three safeties and three corners, ideally they'd like to be in more of those three safety looks because Kyle Duggar or Adrian Phillips is the third safety, is better than whomever the nickelback is going to be. Miles Bryant, who had a good game, or Marcus Jones. Um, we'll get to both of those guys in a little bit later. We had the mailbag. Now the bad. Um, this will be quick. Nelson Aguilar, you know this just as well as I do. He had one target, and he tapped it to the other team. And you just, 
you can't do that. Aguilar has now accounted for three turnovers this season. He's had a drop in back-to-back games, and you just can't trust him like that. So while you could go, rightfully so, hey, where's Devontae Parker? He had zero catches. Um, well, he drew a couple pass interference penalties, and that's going to count because those yards move you up just as well as a catch does. So the Patriots have a crunch at receiver with Tyquan Thornton coming back. He was fine. I'd like to wait a little bit longer and see him a little bit more involved in just kind of a, a counter bubble RPO, which is how he caught his first pass. Just a quick little screen went for two yards. Um, before we make a real assessment, it's good to see him healthy. He beat his recovery timeline, but Aguilar playing like he has been is going to make this really easy for the Patriots just to say, okay, Thornton jumps him. We'll release or bench Bull Jordan Humphrey because they rolled with six wide receivers. Humphrey played again more as a tight end. Um, but that is also depends on Jacoby Myers, who I actually have listed down here. In my notes as part of the good. Let's just read off his stats, seven catches and eight targets for 111 yards. And of course the touchdown, the next closest Patriots wide out in terms of catches or yards, both of them was Tyquan Thornton with two catches for seven yards. So Myers is doing his thing. He's a legitimate number two in the league Unsexy as the guy's play is. And he'll tell you that he, he is happy to take hits over the middle. Wants to be a security blanket. Um, but those numbers are representative of how he plays, which was really, really, really well. Okay. Bad was Aguilar. Some of the other receivers, I'm not going to bang on anybody else after a 29 to nothing win. So game balls, Myers, seven catches, 111 yards and a touchdown when no one else is doing Jack squat, big one for him, Matt Judon, two sacks, enough said. And then the last game ball goes to Jack Jones for the interception, which not only was just a great acrobatic play there on the sideline of the first quarter, but you look at the, and Belichick talked about this, the route distribution on that play, which was actually not unlike what we saw from the Patriots and what I described and how they completed that touchdown pass. And then Billy Zappi's first pass to Hunter Henry down the seam. Those were two vertical routes. So you imagine just two receivers standing next to each other. They go straight downfield. And that's what it was. What the Lions did was they had kind of a delay. So you had one receiver go upfield and he was supposed to occupy Jack Jones and clear her mouth of what's kind of a deep third or deep quarter there. And then TJ Hawkinson was going to go in behind him on a wheel route with Jelani Tavai in tow and then be able to go into that vacated space and make a touchdown catch. Well, Jack Jones sitting in zone realizes that this whole part is going on. The receiver is supposed to clear him out. So once he got to the goal line, that receiver, Jones left him, followed the eyes of Jared Goff, left and made that interception. So you're talking about play recognition. You're talking about body control, ball skills, all in one package. Like when I say he is shades of a young J.C. Jackson, again, as I tweeted during the game and wrote last week, this is no joke. The kid is making instinctive plays and he'll get burned and he's still missing a tackle or two here or there. But you will absolutely take that for a team that is playing much better in the secondary than expected and can play man coverage, partly because of him. Um, good coverage by Tobias on that too. So game balls, Jacoby Myers, Matt Judon, Jack Jones. What would NFL film say? We've only done this two times before. Basic idea is NFL films has decided to do this season-long documentary on the Patriots because you know what they did back in the day on teams that even went 5-11 and 11, like the 95 Patriots uh, VHS that I wore out as a kid. And so we'll go back to Green Bay quickly. Obviously, this is a game that, you know, uh, overtime loss is difficult, but they're going to dress it up as the Patriots kind of, you know, find their medal in the frozen tundra and lose a late one to the greatness of Aaron Rodgers. And you just, you know, they'll cut to Belichick post game, talk about he's just too good, he's too smart, blah, blah, blah. But with Bailey Zappi starting yet again, they get back to old school football in the red throwback Pat Patriot uniforms. So cue the big Stevenson run, 46 yards there in the first quarter, 49 yards, excuse me. 
uh, Judon strip sack defense, like old school Patriots ball. And then of course Zappi's touchdown pass. So, you know, they'll hit on the six fourth down stops by this point, NFL films will have done the research to say what year it was because I had uh, 1981 uh, or excuse me, 91 Aaron shots of football Ice outsiders was telling me it was 1981 based on his data. And then Elias sports bureau comes out, trumps all of us and says, Oh, it's actually, it's actually 1977. It might be the first time in NFL history, a team has stopped another team six out of six times on fourth down, but we'll leave this to the fake NFL films documentary. Um, and then they'll cut to Belichick in the locker room because the Patriots posted this video already. He's talking about the number one offense. We shut him out and it was big. I talked to plenty of guys in the locker room after the game and they brought up that very thing. And then they'll say Belichick one win away from history, tying George Hallis for third most career wins all time needs to take one more step back in time and back to his roots because the Patriots are now going to Cleveland. So that is what NFL films would say. WWNFS our segment. Hey, just a quick break to tell you football is back and BetOnline remains your number one source for all your football betting needs this season. You'll always find the latest football odds, team matchup info, player news and game trends at BetOnline. And as your continued source for all your sports wagering needs, BetOnline features live betting, free contests and live scores, plus giveaways all season long, NFL and college. But if you're not into football, why are you listening to this podcast? Also, you can find your other favorite sports, NBA, even MLB playoffs, MMA, tennis, boxing, golf. They're still playing golf. So head to betonline.ag to join and receive your 50% welcome bonus. That's 5-0, 50% welcome bonus with your first deposit. Make sure to use the promo code CLNS50, CLNS50 to receive rewards because that's BetOnline where the game starts. And now we go on to the mailbag. Um, quick reminder. You can read a lot more film analysis if you just go to the bostonherald.com, find me on Twitter. This link will be up on my Twitter um, by the time this, this podcast episode goes live. So there, there's tons more notes. There's a good 2,000 words and stuff we didn't even cover that I've forgotten, but this is kind of the distilled version of, uh, of that. Okay, as promised, the monster mailbag. Ashley on Twitter, what do you think we do, meaning the Patriots, this week at running back if Damian Harris can't go? Um, this is pretty simple for me. I think JJ Taylor gets a call up. Pierre Strong was a healthy scratch on Sunday against the Lions, which was a risk because then the Patriots were only carrying two running backs. Low bowl, Damian Harris goes out and you're down to one. Now, the Patriots are very confident that Reminder Stevenson can play three downs. Belichick said this as much on WEI, but you just you can't risk another injury because I don't know what they would have done at running back. And I'm running down the different kind of receivers and no one really carries that body type. And they certainly would have had another plan and you can run reverses and, you know, they handed the ball off to Kendrick Bourne and you can get Jacoby Myers out in space and all these different things. But if you need to salt the game away, just hand the ball off. So I would expect JJ Taylor to get elevated from the practice squad. Kevin Harris might also be a consideration down there. The sixth round rookie out of South Carolina, but um, yeah, if Damian Harris can't play, it should be one of those two. John Carpenter uh, wants to know, do you think all six wide receivers being active is an every week occurrence if all are healthy? Running back was pretty thin yesterday. Yep, you're right. We just talked about it. I do not think it will be an every week occurrence. And this is going to be something for the coaches to decide because I can tell you they knew early on that Jacoby Myers uh, would be available. Um, just trying to give him extra time, understanding he's like their only reliable game to game, down to down, drive to drive receiver. And so you need him for for the long haul. So I would expect Will Jordan Humphrey probably to be a candidate uh, to be a healthy scratch. I don't think they want to 
you know, totally cut ties with them because you could dip back into the same stuff they were doing early in the year. We roll out 11 personnel, three receivers, one running back, one tight end, but treat Humphrey like a tight end and have him, you know, employ and block in some of your 12 personnel plays just with a three receiver look. So yeah, I would expect him to get um, potentially a healthy scratch. And then again, if Nelson Aguilar, who actually hurt his hamstring against the Lions, has to miss some time, you know, they might just go, hey, four-week Foxborough flu, uh, and then we'll see what you can do when you come back. But they also need to see what Thornton can do because he's healthy, which is great. It's the biggest and most important step, but um, he didn't play very many snaps last weekend. Okay, this from uh, this is my burner at box 02168 and a couple other numbers. What was your take on Miles Bryant versus Marcus Jones? So I have been learning that after Jelani Tavai, Miles uh, Bryant is like, you know, enemy number two on the list of Pat's Twitter when things don't go particularly well. And I would say I get it. The memory of Isaiah McKenzie, you know, dragging him up and down the field last week against Buffalo or last year against Buffalo is still very fresh. But Miles Bryant's a damn solid football player. And he's not someone who is going to make a Pro Bowl in all likelihood in his career. But he's exceptionally smart. He made a, a fourth down stop at the goal line because he knew what route concept was coming against the Lions. He called it out to all of his teammates. Jonathan Jones told me, Jalen Mills said, Miles called it, Miles called it. He's quick. He can play a little bit of safety. And so I would say before we rush into the unknown, as much as that's paying off with Bailey Zappi and Jack Jones, for all of you who are just saying these kids can play, let's see what they can do. You know, you know, Marcus Jones is there. Okay. I'm not saying only go to him kind of break glass in case of emergency, but Miles Bryant can hold his own. And when he's bouncing between corner and safety, kind of like we just talked about little Jordan Humphrey, it offers you an inherent roster flexibility where defenses don't know, are they in three corner nickel? Are they going to play in three safety nickel? Because the Patriots will play very different coverages out of those personnel groupings. And normally Bryant replacing a Kyle Duggar or an Adrian Phillips would say, okay, they're in three corner. Well, if he's out there and he's the single high safety and McCourty comes to the box, now this is a little different because McCourty's not a corner. So bottom line, he played very well. I would expect him to still rotate. Marcus Jones did a very solid job. I like him a lot as a player and certainly as a return. I don't think he should be removed from kick return or punt return the rest of the season. But Nickelback for now, I think it's still rightfully Miles Bryant's job. Um, and we'll just have to see going forward. All right. Addison from Acton. Uh, sounds like you're calling in from the radio. Uh, says, quote, there was a lot of criticism on letting J.C. walk this offseason. He currently has a PFF player grade of 35.7. For the folks who don't know PFF, their average is about 60. Your starting point is a 60, J.C. Jackson, at a 37 or 35.7. Um, Addison adds a Pat secondary. He's looked solid so far this season. How do the Pats get so much success out of their DBs? Well, uh, first of all, I wouldn't put all of your stock, maybe some stock in a pro football uh, folks player grades. Because if I told you that Kyle Van Noy last year was the number one coverage linebacker in the entire league, your reaction would be, yeah, you don't believe me because uh, it shouldn't be true. He was often pulled off the field to the Patriots are getting, you know, gouged up the middle because of uh, players like Van Noy who were just a little too slow. Uh, well, that's what he was. He was a top ranked coverage linebacker, numerous other examples. I'm not saying PFF grades are useless. I just lean a lot more on their hard data versus then their more subjective tape grades. As for um, getting so much success out of their defensive backs, look, there's no question that as much um, attention, particularly from the media, that the Patriots track record with drafting receivers gets, picking corners, signing them as undrafted players 
is excellent. You could go JC Jackson, obviously Jonathan Jones, Malcolm Butler. We've done the whole list. Jack Jones is a fourth round guy who many expected to go sixth or seventh round. And yeah, part of that was due to the off field trouble where he's breaking into a Panda Express when he was at USC. The dude's also 175 pounds and almost 25. So there were multiple concerns there, but the Patriots bet on man-to-man coverage skills, ball skills, and discounted players like J.C. Jackson, another other concern off the field that forced him to go undrafted. Malcolm Butler, small school, didn't time as well, but is he fast enough to compete? And when he competes, the difference between, you know, knowing how to make an interception versus just bat the ball away is so incredibly valuable. Like, I think if there's a market inefficiency here that the Patriots are still actively exploiting, well, you see a lot of teams doing, you know, pick swap trades now, right? Like the Patriots got uh, Jason McCourty and Danny Shelton before their last Super Bowl in deals where they said, okay, Cleveland, you can have our fifth round pick, but we want a sixth back in addition to that better. And like, those, that's excellent business. It was a market inefficiency. Everyone's doing them now. The Patriots don't do them as often. But what they do is still invest in all these corners that have excellent instincts and ball skills. And that's a position where, unlike really the rest of the roster, you know, football IQ is nice. But if you can just identify the guy you're supposed to cover and stick in his back pocket, nothing else really matters, particularly given how much man coverage they're playing. So I'm not saying that they, you know, pick dummies. They certainly don't. But it's the one spot where they afford to give themselves a discount uh, or, or lower the bar, as it were, on football intelligence because they have it so much higher with ball skills. And that's where you see a guy like Jack Jones not only just be in the vicinity, but stop a drive and take at least three points off the board there in the first quarter for Detroit. Um, last one from Bader TH, uh, FC on Twitter. Another secondary question. The secondary was better than we expected this season. So are the linebackers, the biggest concerns on defense? Yeah, I'd say so. Um, you know, we, we would have run this down, uh, had I done a post green Bay pod, but basically the way that the Packers were attacking them was so much perimeter stuff, forcing them to run, forcing them to chase and divine and Bentley and Mac Wilson, either Wilson's case was taking false steps and having bad eyes and getting benched or to was just a step too slow, but this was a really good game for them. This was a downhill, you know, meet you in the hole kind of running game. And that's how Bentley wants to play. That's how to is built to blame to plays a bunch of different positions, but would you expect this against the Buffalo bills? Hell no. These teams that can go spread or power or have an elite quarterback that can create on his own, you know, all this, I don't want to stress anybody out before you go play the Browns, but I think you can get by with this type of linebacker play. I think in all likelihood, though, you need Mac Wilson to come around and make plays like he did at Pittsburgh, tapping the ball up to Jalen Mills, who gets an interception in the first half, because those passing downs where the Patriots are going to need to win and get teams off the field. And Mac Wilson did well in that role when they're playing dime Packers. I think he only played nine snaps against Detroit, but you know, teams are still going to come for Bentley and to buy off a of play action. And so, yeah, that would be my biggest concern. What does also, like you mentioned, a function of the corners covering really, really well in man safeties being deep as hell. And this pass rush between Judon and wise uh, we're seeing Josh Uche come on a little bit. And obviously the schemes they run amplify their talents. Judon's, you know, getting a lot of one-on-ones generated for him. Uh, and they're doing a lot of read blitzes where, you know, the two linebackers will approach the center, one on either side, the ball is snapped. They're both looking at him and whichever way the, the center turns, the other linebacker blitzes up the middle. So that's ways they kind of generate pressure and have forever and ever is one of the, you know, middle to lower blitzing teams uh, in the entire league. So yeah, bottom line, yes. Pass rush looks good. Secondary has been strong. The soft spot is right there in the middle. So that does it. Patriots 29 line zero. Again, find my full film review on bostonherald.com. Uh, hopefully 
you will see me sometime this week back on TV. It's been fun doing some more TV, some early editions, some Boston sports tonight. Um, that's where you usually get a little bit of heads up, some tidbits you might have with the Friday pod. We will be back on Friday game preview for the Patriots trip to Cleveland. I will be there. Cleveland underrated city. I went to visit last year. Really good buddy of mine. Uh, actually during the bye week uh, in December, I had a blast. I don't want to hear any smack, smack talk about Cleveland. Um, unless of course it's going to be 20 and suddenly a snowstorm on Sunday, but we won't know until the weekend until then. So long. Thanks for listening and we'll see you on Friday. <laughs>